Willie Accio, six foot. Ethan Varian, six foot one. Isma Conchalves, six foot one. Dario Zanata, six foot two. Timmy Abraham, six foot two. John Fredrickson, six foot ten. Six giant forwards who've represented the Rovers in the last two and a half seasons, and between them, they managed fewer headed goals than Aidan Connolly did in 15 minutes on Tuesday night. Welcome to Oh No No No, the Wraith Rovers podcast. We're here to talk about Greenock Morton 1, Wraith Rovers 2, and uh, look forward to the game at Airdrie on Saturday as well. Uh, my name is Duncan Cameron, I'm your host for this evening, and I'm joined by four fellow Rovers fans. Uh, first of all, we've got Scott Fleming. How are you, Scott? Yeah, all good, Duncan. Yourself? Yeah, very well, thank you, mate. Uh, we've got Blair Hopcroft. How are you, Blair? Very well, mate. Excellent. Uh, Ian Lato's here. How are you, Ian? Very well. Delighted to be here. Fantastic. And of course, Robbie Weir's here as well. How are you, Robbie? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Duncan. Fantastic. So, um, as you say, uh, another three points on the board. Uh, tough away day at Capelo on uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, so, I know some of us were there. Um, let's start with uh, Ian. Let's start with you. Just give us your uh, your overall thoughts, kind of going into that game and and how you saw it unfold. Yeah, I suppose um, I was looking forward to going. Um, I always enjoy a kind of midweek game under the lights, um, and I, I like what I like going to. I like going to Capital. I know it gets a lot of crags, but I really like it for a for a place to watch football. Prefer it behind the goals, right enough. And up in that main stand can be a wee bit tight on the legs, but um, it's, a, it's a nice wee perch to watch football. Um, I was quite confident, genuinely, genuinely before the game. I thought, you know what, like we're in we're in great form. They're pish. <laughs> and uh, I, I just, I just, I was really confident that, that we were going to go and win. The way the game started, I was, I thought they started kind of the, the perhaps not the brighter, the kind of more on top. I'd say um, they kind of, you know what, what in style is they, they get it back to front. Um, they've got Muirhead and Oakley up front, who you're not going to get two bigger, stronger strikers than that, and they, they absolutely used them. Um, thankfully, the, the pair of them were. I don't think the, the pair of them were up to up to very much the, the whole game, to be honest. They held it in a wee bit and kind of, they definitely targeted Brown. Um, they were kind of pulling on to him and then the ball was going up to him. Brown stood his ground, thought he did really well. Um, obviously, we got the goal when we did. That turned it, kind of the game in our favour. And I thought from that point until the end of the first half, we were well on top. Well on top. Connolly obviously pops up an absolute beauty of a cross from Josh Mann for the right hand side that. I don't know how he spotted that he's going to be able to just wand that directly onto his head, but uh, yeah, it's, it's not for the first time for Mullen. Then obviously the second one, uh, you'll struggle to find a better cross than that from Ross Mullen this season. Just gets the whip he gets on the ball and it's so flat. Connolly gets up so well and, and nods it in. Um, second half, as we do, lost the goal right at the start of the first half. And then it was kind of back to the wall and watching those highlights, I cannot believe they did not get another one. There was, a, <laughs> there was one right at the end where uh, Robbie Muirhead gets up and does like a kind of, not an overhead kick, but kind of gets up off the ground. 
and Josh Mullen, I think he turned round and looks away and he steps off the post and the ball hits him and ricochets wide. <laughs> that that's when you know it's your night. Yeah, you can see his reaction to that one. That he's he's, he's not even kidding on. That he's just genuinely like like totally total accident. Had no idea that was coming in there. Um, I thought it was interesting, Robbie. You said after the Dunfermline game, the Rovers in the first half um, played like Jack Hamilton was there, even though he wasn't. Yeah. And I thought for large parts of that game on Tuesday night, Morton played as if only George Oakley and Robbie Muirhead were there. Like, just shelling it forward time and time again. And it actually, I thought Ian Wilson, uh, Ian Wilson, who scored the goal, seemed to be the only one who wasn't interested in that. He was dashing about all over the place, and I think he was the first one to go off, which was just seemed mad to me if he wasn't um, wasn't carrying an injury. But, yeah, definitely, I mean, to go back to the, the kind of the open period, I know exactly what you mean, Ian, with that, like... <laughs> The Rovers almost had sort of more of the ball and more of the territory, but there was a kind of feeling that Morton looked quite dangerous. I, I, I thought the same. Um, maybe most kind of typified by that um, Ross Millen touch, where he just plays the boy in under under really kind of very little pressure. But um, in terms of the the kind of flow of that half, I thought by half time, 2-0 was a, a pretty fair reflection. Um, Blair, how about you? How did you see that? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with all of that. The um, I think that the opening bit is, they they came out again quite um, quite up for it. I think we started a wee bit slow, I felt, um, in terms of the, the possession of the ball and stuff. We, I think for me, it was, it was kind of a, hangover a little bit from the weekend, Sean Byrne wasn't really involved in the first 15-20 minutes or so, I'd kind of said to one of my mates, like, he's having another really quiet game, like, it's it's kind of no like him, and then for me, the game turned on its head when he got involved, second half, he was absolutely brilliant, um, and controlled the play a little bit better um, I think the first 10-15 minutes to be fair, he spent most of the game with his like, looking up at the sky, watching the ball careering over his head um, they take direct to a whole new level, and I mean, in fairness, it's I mean it will work. It will work for them. It won't work every week, and you can see that by their position in the league. But they they have two big sort of solid strikers, and they have um, a couple of haddies at the back, or well, three of them actually, to be fair, at the moment. But it is literally get the ball, and it's just tube it long, and it is constant, like constant pressure. And in the second half in particular. That was where I thought, like, we're going to do well to keep this at 2-1 because it's just constant bombardment. Um, and as Ian said, I absolutely agree. They completely singled out um, a Scott Brown. And quite rightly, too. I mean, if, if you're a striker and you've got a chance of going up for a header against you and Murray or going up for a header against Scott Brown, you're choosing Scott Brown all day because you and Murray was imperious again, throwing his body about. Um, I mean, there's one in the first half where he, he's, like, thrown himself in front of the shot, and it's mental. He gets himself up. I thought he'd hurt himself, actually. He kind of took a while to shake it off. I thought the shoulder, maybe. But um, I thought it was a really solid performance from us. Um, and the the angle, that the video for that first goal, you know, they've got the, the guy, Ben, I think it is, that does yes. the video, and they've got the whip on the cross, 
I mean, it's so good from that angle, you can't even see Aidan Connolly. Do you know what I mean? And amongst the sea of, of strikers, uh, sorry, the sea of centre-halves, and it's just right on his head. Um, I thought a really, really good performance, a really good three points. Um, yeah, and I think there was a lot of... I, I actually wasn't quite as confident going in, I must admit. I, it was one of those games where I felt the pressure was on us because we should win that. And I said that in the, the, the podcast on Sunday. Like, we should be winning this game. And bodies were a bit light. I mean, he obviously started Connolly instead of um, McGill, which I think was the right decision. But then my worry was, what substitutions? I mean, if Easton's not 100%, and I think he is actually a bit closer to 100% than what we thought, but, like, do our substitutions bring us on or do our substitutions just change bodies? Um, so I was a wee bit kind of trepidation coming in. But, um, yeah, a really good, solid three points on a on a really cold night as well, actually. Um, but, yeah, enjoyable. Yeah, I thought they, they managed the game very well, which is becoming a recurring team. I mean, we've said it enough times on this podcast already. You know, this time last season, we wouldn't have seen that out. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of credit has to go to guys like Callum Smith, who didn't really much didn't come off for him with yeah. the ball, but the amount of running that he was doing, um, again, I think it's the same guy. It's Ben who does the the kind of running about at the end of the game, just uh, getting in people's faces and picking up a little bit, and. Uh, in the um, the kind of little short clip that was on Twitter at first, it was bleeped, but in the longer one, the kind of story of the match, you get the uh, uncensored, just Josh Mullen screaming in Calum Smith's face, what a fucking shift! Which, to be fair, fairly yeah, accurate but... summary, Which because that was exactly what we needed. It really was a case of, um, especially into that second half, so Lewis Vaughan was like the outball when we were in possession and Callum Smith was just running the rest of the time, just putting that different defence under pressure. And that meant, as I say, I think they were kind of minded to do it anyway, but it became just that long ball game. And um, yeah, huge credit to, to Scott Brown because that's two games in, you know, three or four days where the opposition have really targeted them and he's absolutely stood up to it and, uh, and done incredibly well. Again, I said on Sunday, the first half, it looked like he was being kind of given a torrid time by the movement for the Dunfermline kind of front line. And the longer the game goes on, you think, actually, he maybe doesn't look the most comfortable, but he's given nothing away. And again, Tuesday night, I mean, the goal comes from a set piece. It's not anything to do with um, the, amount of, the amount of challenges he's having to actually go up against in, uh, in open play. And like Robbie, you said, um, Robbie Muirhead turns into Didier Drogba half the time playing against us. So That's he'd an have... Ian Lattle line, by the way. I'm sure I've seen you say that before. <laughs> Sorry for stealing your platter, but that seems to be a recurring thing on this podcast, stealing <laughs> people's platter. Yeah, it's, a, it's an accurate one, though. Because like, he just, that he's, he's, he'll, he'll fancy it going into games against the Rovers because of the record that he's got. And he just, yeah, get absolutely nothing. Um, but let's, uh, let's go back to the goals, actually, because I want to spend a bit more time on that. I thought it was the... The second one, first of all, the second one's just brilliant movement. It's, obviously, the cross is excellent for both. But the like Aidan Connolly with the second one, he does well to make the space for himself, and it's like an excellent, almost kind of classic header. The first one, and I, I don't mean to take this away from him at all, but I think actually his stature works in his favour on that one. Because I think if Aidan Connolly was six foot two, 
first of all, he'd be playing an incredibly high level of football, but also I'm not sure how easy that is to get because he's actually, he doesn't jump for it at all. He gets quite a natural header and the defender's almost kind of lo- looming over him. But it's um, two. So the one thing I would say, disagree with that slightly, I think if Aidan Connolly's six foot two, Josh Mullen would have put that ball about three feet higher. Right, and that's that's a good point. It was for for me. It was one of those, and I think that's the point you're making. Is it's actually it's the cross. Like Aidan Connolly just nods the ball in. Like he doesn't move. He doesn't jump. He doesn't bow. He doesn't do anything. He just nods the ball in. It's right on his head. And actually, when you're in between two pretty big centre halves, he's he's got the ball up over the first one, down before the second one, and onto Connolly's head. What a cross! That's uh, like incredible. On you go, Robbie. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting, and when especially when you see the uh, the pitch side camera, because that really brings it to light a lot more than if you were watching a sort of stand side camera. I listened to just one Cornetto today, which is the Morton podcast, and it was described like having a corner kick from open play. That was what it was like, and I think that's probably a really good description from them that he just shimmies away from Wilson and gets the space and then as touched on earlier you can't even see Connolly like he knows exactly where he is he knows where the ball is going um, and where he needs it to be and he just manages to find it perfectly like you've touched on I think that with um, with Mullen it's an interesting one because a lot of people weren't happy last Saturday um, he didn't have his best game by any stretch of the imagination which is understandable and I'm sure he'll hold his hands up himself and we made that change when we needed to but yeah it's just great to see him because we know that he can offer it and I think a, a sort of long term thing that I've sort of said is that when we've got players like Milne and uh, Mullen in the team you've got those deliveries coming in from out wide you just need the player to be in the box and often with Jack Hamilton, I felt that he's been a sort of target man, but then he's getting dragged back to win the ball, and then he plays it off, and it goes out wide, and then there's no one in the box. And somehow we end up with Aidan Connolly in the box last night, twice to, to, to perfectly meet those. And yeah, with the, the second one was fantastic, though. He's just done so well, just in terms of finding the space in the defence, and to get that away, and it's such a powerful header as well. Um, and we all know what Jamie McDonald's like, so to be able to be a keeper of that caliber with those balls coming in um and the headers yeah it's perfect it's absolutely perfect like yeah. you can't have it any other way you know what like I... defenders in there to try and find yeah. the space amongst as well i mean all right albeit one of them is just kind of lumbering about with a heap full of spiders but it's still like that's a tougher challenge than you would expect it to be normally sorry i wouldn't be averse to seeing us do the uh, the kind of mullen on the left and, and Connolly on the right going forward, you know that. Um, I think having the, the option to put in those sorts of deliveries from both sides is, is huge, do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's not something that I ever really considered that might be an option for us. I didn't really know that Mullen could play on the left. Um, obviously, I, th- I think Ian Murray did an interview with the Courier, uh, with Craig Cairns, where he said that the, the thinking was that like they played them on opposite sides because it's a tight pitch, and they wanted them to cut inside and, and have a shot. Obviously, it didn't quite transpire like that, and it's transpired that you know Connolly's actually tucked in one, and the crosses come in. Um, but no, it, it was a, a, a kind of good piece of kind of tactical thinking from Murray, not for the first time, um, to to come up with that. And I I would quite like to see that kind of going forward. I think it, it gives you a better balance 
because the way that it has been, with Mullen and Millen on the right-hand side, both of them are, in, are inclined to sort of deliver across from where they get the ball. You know, they're like netball players. They don't tend to actually move once they're in possession. You know, they're not looking to beat a man. They're looking to just, like Ross Millen does it perfectly, where he just receives the ball, rolls it forward two feet, and then just delivers across from wherever he happens to be. So on that side, you get better balance when it's Connolly and Millen who have an excellent understanding anyway. And then on the other side, there's my long-standing um, diatribe about Liam Dick not getting forward enough. But that at least means that there is space for Josh Mullen to come back into. And again, it, it works very well. A very um, uh, Joe Cardle-esque cross on that uh, for that goal. And it's it's kind of Joe Cardle's probably the, the archetype of what you would want for that um, that kind of position. Um Scott, what about you? Give us your thoughts on the uh, on the goals in the game in general. Uh, no, I, I kind of I was a bit sceptical going into Tuesday night uh, myself. Just Morton away midweek, it just screamed like it would be a game that I actually didn't think there was going to be three goals in the game. I thought it was going to be one nil either way. It was probably going to be scrappy, and then I actually for my stream that I was watching it on. The pitch actually looked the best I've seen Capital look in a long time. And I'm like, it's almost November, so usually it starts to cut up by about this time and stuff. But I was actually quite impressed with how good it looked. And I thought, oh, we should be able to play at least a bit of football on it tonight. But uh, I agree, it, yeah, the first 15 minutes it was pretty scrappy and ball was in the air constantly and whatever. But no, I thought once the first half kind of settled down a bit, we got... I, I say it every week, or I seem to say it every week, them triangles constantly started appearing again with Stanton, Connolly and Vaughan. And Connolly's obviously just back for injury, so he's just finding his way back in. But I thought he he lined up pretty well with them two. And uh, yeah, I, I agree with the two headers are very well taken headers. They're a guy that's yeah five foot six or whatever. But no, I, I, one point that I was going to touch on that uh, I agree with... Ian was that uh, I've got a mate of mine's over here in the Netherlands that's a Air United fan, and he actually talked about last year that Mullen I think played about five or six games on the left for them, and in them five or six games he got four goals and like a couple of assists. So I knew it was an option for us if we needed to do it, but uh, obviously the fact that Connolly was injured, Mullen was always going to be on that right side to begin with. So I I would agree with Ian that. Going forward, just now, whilst we've still got kind of a light squad, I would probably, for Saturday anyway, go with Mullen on the left and Connolly on the right. And then, as they say, you can either cut in and cross or you can cut in and shoot. You've got the options there. But um, no, overall, I thought it was a pretty decent result. And I would say that second half, we were a bit lucky at times, <laughs> to say the least. It was... Uh, when you were talking about the whole Mullen situation, there was a couple of times where big caves came and you went, he's not getting there. <laughs> it's just gone over him or he's missed it or he's flapped it. And luckily for us, and I think John Greer mentioned it today, that when you're playing well, more luck's going to go your side. And it just seems to be the case just now that it's going our way. So I'm here for it. Yeah, it, it felt, certainly in the ground, it felt like, you know, one more of those goal mouth scrambles and it would have gone in. Like we, we we very much used up our luck on those. 
Um, that um, actually, sorry, just to, to come back to something in the first half, just purely because I'm I'm curious if anybody knows this. What was Jim McDonald so upset about? He got booked for dissent really early on, but I I couldn't see anything at the time oh, or on the highlights. That, um, that got covered off in the. Um... If you watch the extended version of the Inside the Match Day thing, he basically goes mental at a decision. And I think he basically just was charged over to the ref. And the referee straight away was like, no, no having that, and gives him a yellow card. Aye. I just I couldn't see what it was what it was yeah. for. Because I, I, I think it went for a corner, but it looked like very obviously went for a corner. It must have been something in the, the run-up to it. But yeah. I couldn't see it. It's not... It was the top end. It's not like he's particularly... You know, kind of explosive tempo. Very early in a game to get booked as well. Like, aye, it just seemed an odd one. But um, yeah, I would, we'll just um, we'll chalk that up as a as a mystery. Um, Scott mentioned uh, Kevin Dabrowski there, Blair. I know you wanted to to kind of add to your uh, your increasing compendium of uh, reviews of Kevin Dabrowski's performances. Yeah. Um. Again, full of humble pie. I have to say, I thought he was tremendous on Tuesday night. Um. It turns out he can really kick off grass as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, his kicking was really good, though, in fairness. Um, I think the the point I wanted to make with Kev was, I think Tuesday night was one of those games, and a bit like the, the Jakubiak moment in the, the Pars game, where it could have went differently for him. He's not going to get that kind of treatment week in, week out in the Championship, I don't think. But there's no team in that league that are going to bully you as much as Morton are. It's all high balls into the box, and it's two big strikers. And at one point, he absolutely smashes Oakley in the first half. And to be fair, really lovely. But it wasn't It wasn't like the Jakubiak one, where Jakubiak jumped into him, and he was actually just holding his ground. He wiped him out, and it was beautiful. Um, and Oakley's up, and he's complaining and all the rest of it. But... It was a, a really assured performance from him, I think. And I think Scott's right. There was a couple of times where he did kind of flap at it a little bit. He was getting crowded out in the box and things a little bit. But I think just in the nature of the game, he dealt with so much. There were so many balls into the box that he was never going to be able to cope all night as assured as he, as he wanted to be. But he still managed. There was a couple he got like a good um, punch on the ball um, straight after one that he flapped, which again, filled me with confidence was that thing of, you know, he'd have that little wobble, and it's normal. I mean, it happens to any player in any game. You're never going to have a perfect 90 minutes. I think it's just a kind of a, a you know, magnifying glass on a goalkeeper. But straight away after that, he deals with the next one. Um, the goal, there's nothing at all he can do. It's a really good header. There's no chance he's getting it. Cannon's off the bar and literally pretty much hits um, Williams to score the goal. So, um, no, I thought Kev had a, a, a really, really good game. But I felt it was a game of performances all across the pitch. Sean Byrne, I think, was back to his best. He was really good. Josh Mullen, we've mentioned, it wasn't just the crosses. He, he hit the bar pretty early on from a free kick yeah. mm-hmm. um, out on that same side. Um, he took men on, which someone he hasn't been doing for us. He got the ball down and took a couple of guys on. By far and away for me, his best 90 minutes. Lewis Vaughan absolutely ran himself into the ground. At one point, he's pulling up a cramp, and two minutes later, he's sprinting again um, to go and get the ball. I thought Easton, when he came on, that Easton and Vaughan combination 
oh my God, it is frightening how good those two can be. If we can get them both fit and firing, like they are really special actually when they when they get going. See when uh, when Easton came on, he's so good at just carrying the ball and and ticking down the clock. Like genuinely probably the best player we've got at that. Yeah. He gets the ball and he slows them down, and he slows them down, and he kind of stands them up and squares them up. And then he'll drop his shoulder one way and then keep it going. And then before you know it, he's had the ball for like 30 seconds. Then he'll either play the pass or or get a foul or will win a corner or something. And see when you're up against it, specifically away from home, it is invaluable how good he is at that. See when he comes on and the play, the, the, the opposition team are tired, they must be going, oh, fuck off. Like, <laughs> I do not want to be dealing with you. Like, he, he, I thought he was... Honestly, one of the best cameos that you, that you could hope for when he came on, he was superb. He did everything that you would want him to do. And it's it's really interesting because you look at a lot of the clubs in the league, and obviously Morton in particular have got their own style. They have nowhere near a player like that caliber. Just who have they got in midfield? Grant Gillespie and Alan Power, just two yeah. players that all carriers vote about and just I effectively. Um, and I noticed as I said in the group chat, Grant Gillespie was getting slaughtered after the game, which is quite interesting, given that he seemed to get rave reviews last season when he scored about fucking 15 penalties. Like It felt like any time you saw it score, it had the brackets with the pen next to it. Um, very interesting is that their play- best player seemed to be Ian Wilson, who's actually on loan from Queen of the South, which is a very weird situation. Like just seems to have been the player that they're sort of utilising really well but he's actually a loanee from a club who are really toiling in the league below. So that might be one to keep an eye out for in the future. But I think it was just really good to see the sort of scenes at the end and um, just how much it meant to the players. Like you look at Sean Byrne and about 10 seconds after that clip starts after the full-time whistle, he's sitting on the deck because he's fucking done. He's like absolutely knackered. So yeah, really great to see. And uh, just overall, fantastic performance against what is really, really uh, a grubby, disgusting football team, um, in effect. That's just the only way I can put it. And I know their fans get really upset about it, but Good. let's be honest, they're a fucking gang. They are 100% an absolute gang with no intention of like playing any resounding football. It must be awful to go to your ground every week and just think, yep, long ball football, we're going to rustle a bunch of jimmies today and fucking piss people off. And maybe get a one nil, two nil win. Uh, it's just um, no resounding. I, uh, I think you've hit the nail on the head there because that is one of these things that you can do if you're getting results. But when you you're playing like that and you're getting beat, nobody's having fun. Ah, and, and and it's just like they were the better side though, according to Gamery. Better side across the ninety minutes. I'm loving the fact that he's getting found out because I I mean. First season there was a bit of novelty. You had the the Cami Blues celebration with the the specs with John McGlynn after complaining about saying that they're nothing more than yeah. long throws. But to be fair, McGlynn had an absolute point. They were just uh, the left back Lewis Strap just chucking long balls in the box. Um, aye, it's just very very funny to see him get found out. Just and ideally it'll just be end up in a relegation. But again, this league's mental. They're they're no f- any team can beat any team. And it just takes a few run of games and you could be well away from the bottom. 
um, like Dunfermline, if they beat them on Friday, they jump up to something like fourth place. Not that we are going to associate ourselves with mid-table riffraff like <laughs> that, because we are fucking storming ahead from Partick Thistle, let alone the rest of these jobbers. That game tomorrow night is going to be horrible to watch. It is yeah. honestly, at, if there's a goal in that game, I'll be surprised. I, I wanted I wanted to talk about that briefly, just to to expand our remit to the uh, the rest of the championship for a moment, because obviously just we've seen both of these sides and in, in, inside the last week, <clears throat> I find that really difficult to call, um, because I thought Dunfermline were, in terms of the football that they played, better than Morton, but I also thought Dunfermline looked like exactly the kind of side that could be bullied, yeah. and if they're missing Benedictus and Breen. Like Robbie Muirhead and George Oakley were were just like just crackling about that front line and getting nothing, but they will eventually. Like yeah. if you're not set up for that, there's absolutely there's change to be gotten out of that Dunfermline defence. So I I find that really difficult to call. I think that's one of these ones it's where the um, first goal it's... that goes in, the other team's gonna really struggle to get back into it. It's a, a case of the stoppable force against the uh, kick and rush any object that's m- there, because that's basically it. It's just very interesting to see how that Dunfermline defence holds up, as you say, um, if they've got those injuries. But I, I, I'm not concerned with that. Just we just very quickly right. before we move on as well, can we come back to Grant Gillespie? Because I feel like we've let him off a wee bit lightly. Um, so Grant Gillespie comes off the bench, right? Fresh legs with 10 minutes to go, something like that. Um, at, at pretty much the same point, Lewis Vaughan down in the corner pulls up a cramp, um, and he's he's really struggling. He's hobbling to the point where the the play breaks back, and Vaughan stays on the halfway line because he's knackered. He Can he move? The ball comes out, and Lewis Vaughan chases the ball down at the corner. Grant Gillespie tries to shadow the ball out for a throw in. Vaughan nicks the ball off him. And then outruns Grant Gillespie. Now, Grant Gillespie's literally plodding along like Yokozuna at the 90s, right? Stumbling along at the back of him. It was actually horrendous. And I'm like, this is the guy who, like like Robbie says, he was what player of the year last year. He's, he's meant to be one of their better... I mean, it was, it was embarrassing. He's like an absolute shadow of the man he used to be, apart from the hair. Um, but it Which- was... I mean, to be fair, looks fantastic. <laughs> it does. Actually, doesn't he anymore? I think it's starting to fall out again. Is it not? Uh, to be fair, Lee Miller, Lee Miller did that. Lee Miller falling apart. <laughs> Honestly, it was embarrassing. And like I say, this is a Vaughn who genuinely two minutes before it was done to the point where they were like, right, Adam Masson, we'll put Adam Masson on. Like, what are we going to do? We've got nothing else to do here. And he's still outrunning a fresh leg Grant Gillespie. Embarrassing. Um, I do. I do think. Uh, I do think Morton will go down. I think they're the worst team we've played. I think we've got. We've not seen our broth yet. Well, well, true. Ah, we slightly better though. I just think Morton have got no redeeming features in their squad. Like they've got two strikers who, I, 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 I don't rate them at all. Robbie Muirhead triggers me like nobody else does as well. Like, so I'm quite happy for them to go down. Three centre halves that are absolutely tragic and water carriers in the middle of the park. It's not like they've got any quality. And the fans are now starting to turn on them a wee bit because they're playing shite football and getting beat. Um, I, think I think they'll go down in 10. Interesting point as well. Robbie mentioned him a minute ago, but Lewis Strap still without a club. Free agent. 
I'm, I'm, I'm under the impression that he's he picked up a fairly a fairly bad injury. All right, I think okay. a little bit like the injury that Ross Matthews has had. So like wasn't immediate didn't like didn't break his leg or anything, but yeah. whatever it was, he's just been we were talking about that on, on Tuesday night as well, just like what's the story? Because he was um training with St. Mirren, uh like still in the summer before the season had begun. But as far as I'm aware, he's, he's never resurfaced. He was I don't know if he's... like clubs abroad in Europe and everything. But then uh, I, I said I said to a few of my mates, I says, we won't get him because it's likely that if he stays in Scotland and gets a club, he'll probably actually go to like St. Johnston or something like that in the bottom half of the SPL. But I said, I would take him any day yeah. of the week. He was arguably one of the best left-backs in the league last season. Is there no compensation him. due? If he signs for someone, because Morton offered him a contract and he turned it down, so I am under the impression that whoever signs him is due Morton a development fee. I could be talking shite here, but I, I can't even anything. No. Uh, we not. I don't think anyone's gonna um, know too much about the situation from our east coast voice. Yeah. It's uh, it's the same, but they had Michael uh, Michael Doyle as well, who they released in the summer, and then he, he was training with them and then dislocated his knee, and he only uh, just oh, got back to fitness now. Um, but I just, a, a very, very, a side full of oddballs, like, that's the only way I could describe it. Just very strange footballing club. Very few redeeming features in that squad in terms of, even if you were, even if you were our bro, yeah. if you really go through that Morton squad, are there many that you're, you're picking to go into your, I mean, it's, it, to, to be fair, to be fair, I, I might I'm even give Dougie I mean, a bit of credit that he's actually keeping them competitive because when you go through it, they don't look like much at all. No. But um, we I, we I talked just... about how we were lucky, but I mean, we should have been home and hosed at points as well. There was about three or four really good chances in the second that half. That burned one and one as well. Yeah, like, the burn one doesn't and square it. Ahead of him and he squares it too early. Mullins ahead of him. It was a kind of a, a mix-up there. Ah. The, the one that Vaughn kind of skipped through and dinks the ball over McDonald yeah. and very close to going in. Um, there was a there was a good few times where you're thinking, actually, we should have buried that game. It's actually incredible to think about Sean Burnley and just the way that we got him. Um, just sort of Dundee just didn't wasn't clicking there at all. He wasn't getting a game. Managers coming in and going out. And none of them are sort of said, nice, nah, it's not for us. And to get him in and the impact that he's had is probably exactly where, why we are where we are. He deserves so much praise in terms of getting us to the position that we're at. Um, and he just seems such a quiet and almost unassuming in a sort of way, just goes about his business, I should say. Um, so, yeah, I'm so glad that we signed him because he's been beyond my expectations by so, so much, especially with Brown being in defence. I don't think anyone would have seen that one coming, that he's just having this role that he can do so much for the team. He's clearly yeah. bought in very early to what we're wanting to do as well. And for a lone player, there's always that doubt of, is he going to buy in? Is he going to care as much as the rest of them? But Burn, he's in the last year of his deal at Dundee, so he kind of has to prove a point here, but at the same time, it's just clear that he's enjoying his football. And last I night, when he said that at the end of the game, you can see how much it's meaning to him, and yeah. this is coming for a loan player. Yeah. So whether we get the chance to maybe sign him on a pre-contract early uh, in 2024, I don't know, but uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if we're already 
in his ear about a contract for next year, uh, or if Dundee are looking at what he's doing and go, maybe we might want to re- recall him soon, but uh, I hope that's not the case. Yeah, I we think were saying um, he'll be back. I think he'll be back. I'm very, very confident. I don't have any anything to base this on. I've not got any in the loop inside knowledge or any nonsense like that. I just think that just with the way that he's playing, um, the way that he seems to, like you say, just bought into it, the the cohesion in the squad, I can see him signing a permanent deal at some point just on a pre-contract with us. We were saying on, on Tuesday night, it, it looks like um, like he sees the game in slow motion sometimes, just as the ball comes to him and he, he's always just knows which way to turn, which way to move, plays simple passes, but um, yeah, it took him a wee minute just to kind of get into the game, but then I um, I would have had him as, as man of the match from that one, which seems incredibly harsh on Aidan Connolly, but I just thought he was so integral to the kind of the overall pattern of that game. Just um, Morton couldn't get through the middle at all, uh, and it was largely uh, down to Sean Byrne just completely controlling that whole kind of middle of the park. Well, obviously Sam Stanton is a very, um, very able deputy. Uh, but just to round us up then on this game, uh, let's do a quick, a quick kind of man of the match roundup. Uh, Ian, we'll start with you. Just to continue on that theme there, I was actually going to try and come in. Um, I, I, I thought Bourne was man of the match. I, th- I absolutely thought he was man of the match. I've got next on my notes here, I've got the metronome. I think he just makes us tick in the middle of the park. So like, if, I, I, I think the best comparison you could give him is like, do you know that meme where there's like a photo and then a button that says upgrade? And then there's another right. one. And it would be Brad Spencer, upgrade, and then Sean Bourne is the second one. Like, I just think he makes us tick in that kind of similar way. He never panics on the ball like, he, if, if the pass isn't on, it's not like I'm just going to put this into the corner. You know, he kind of croy turns and comes back out the other side and just keeps us keeps us moving. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted we managed to get him. I think he's uh, he's so integral to the way that we play. Um, and I'm, I'm totally with you guys. Like, I, I want him to sign next year. He's a great player. Excellent. Uh, Blair, how about you? Man of the match? Um, yeah, kind of hard to disagree with that, but for me, just on the basis of the, the whole 90 minutes and how well he played um, would be Mullen for me. Josh Mullen was um, just honestly, the cross, just his general play, I thought he was really good. And then the, the unknowingly um, being the best goalkeeper, second best goalkeeper on the pitch. Um, yeah, he was he was pretty good over the 90 for me. Yeah, definitely a big um, kind of redemption story for him after. I mean, all right, he wasn't, he wasn't dreadful on Saturday. No. He certainly was below his own levels sent to bounce back that quickly was very very good to see um scott for you man of the match uh yeah it's hard to disagree with them two options as well but uh just because he technically won the game for us i would probably just go Connolly with the two goals i mean he he also had a few nice touches and a few bits of link up play which were good as well and encouraging to see him back in amongst it so now i would just go with Connolly. absolutely and robbie for you uh, I mean, I didn't catch the game. I just was going by the highlights, so I'm going to veto my man in the match. Um, uh, who was it for you, Duncan? Uh, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go Sean Byrne for that one. I think I uh, just I thought the the control that he had, um, really was the the foundation for the um the rest of the performance, the rest of the team to perform. Excellent. So, Can we take a, a moment to to speak about Mr. Kirk Broadfoot? <laughs> we might as well. Uh, yeah. What an odd situation that he is still lumbering around 
championship stadiums like like Godzilla through the Tokyo skyline just <laughs> offering nothing but sorrow to everyone else around um, Can I notice that like the so obviously when we played him the first time he played centre half in a back two and everybody was kind of like oh well you know once the other centre half I forget who it was is back he'll be out and Broadfoot will be back up now, I'm not saying for one minute that they've done this formation change to accommodate Kirk Broadfoot, but it does seem particularly odd that they've now shimmied to a back three and he's still playing. <laughs> I'm sure there's another reason for why they're playing a back three. But whatever it is, it's no good enough because it means he's got to play. He's fucking awful. And yeah. he's, a, he's a fucking tit as well. So, yeah, I'm delighted to see him be so bad and long may it continue. Yeah, just, just, I, I couldn't understand that either because they they done it the week before, and that um so they I mean they brought in is it Tyler French or Taylor French I'm not sure um, from um Dundee who was decent last season uh, I know he's had injury problems I thought he was really poor on uh, on Tuesday night as well but there's there's enough other defenders. I don't even know if they're any good or not. There's enough other defenders for you not to be playing Kirk, Borf, Kirk Broadfoot in 2023 in the championship. Um, even if he's not drinking on the bus home for games. Like, that's... <laughs> he is a model professional, don't forget. No, a cook, though. No. Aye, a model at this stage. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, I tell you what, let's uh, turn our attention to to the weekend's game, so our uh, our conquerors earlier in the season, the only two side we've lost to in the league so far this season, uh, Airdrie come to town. Um, I, I, I apologise, I don't know who was at um, Airdrie and who wasn't last time around, and who only saw kind of highlights and stuff. But um, right, well, Robbie, we'll start with you then. Um, based on what you saw last time and based on what's happened since. How do you feel going into the, this one against Airdrie? Yeah, it's a weird one. Um, the last game was very, very even. Um, I don't think any Rovers fan walking away from that felt that um, they deserved their win because they, they got the job done. But at the same time, it wasn't like it was one where we were a million miles away. Both teams had plenty of chances. To be honest, I actually quite like Airdrie, um, which is a very, very strange thing to say considering the, the whole... Um, sort of background that they have behind them, but I find um, my interactions with a lot of their fans have been really good. Um, just seem really decent people, obviously, probably not in section B, but um, yeah, just I, as I say, just decent people from what I've met. But yeah, I think that McCabe's done a really good job. They were the one team that was, they were the first team to really press us um, successfully in that sort of uh, four-two-three-one and. They got the result off the back of it just because we had no time on the ball. They were very aggressive. Uh, McCable obviously know them inside out and what to expect with us. But at the same time, they've had a downturn in form. Um, they beat us and then they went away to Morton and beat uh, them. And then after that, I think the form's been pretty shady since. So it's it's an interesting game to watch. And it is going to be, um, as I touched on before, both on the Twitter and the WhatsApp. Um, it's our last Saturday, 3pm kickoff at Starks um, until the 30th of December. So, yeah, hopefully uh, we can get a decent crowd into to back Rovers and we'll get a, a win this weekend because, yeah, just to to carry on our good form. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said about that last game. 
that I thought it was very, very even. And I walked away for that, not thinking, like, you know, that's terrible. I can't believe it could beat or anything like that at all. I, I felt, I kind of felt for the Rovers players, actually, after that, because I didn't think they'd done anything particularly wrong. I actually handled that game well. And as much as Airdrie were quite clearly and quite obviously desperate for the Rovers to come and press them. So they were they were keeping the ball on the back line. They were trying to bring the Rovers on. And I thought it was very kind of composed and measured not to go kind of diving in and, and go chasing them about. They actually kind of took their time and kept it quite well. And that only really slipped once. And that was where they got the goal from. But as yeah. you say, full credit to Airdrie for doing that. Because they were patient. They stuck to their game plan. The goal itself has some like 20-odd passes in it. And they absolutely got the rewards for that. So yeah, it was a very, very even game. But they took the chance that they got. Um, the Rovers didn't quite. Obviously, they, they um, struggled with the... Keith Watson went off in that game. But yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot to... I was going to say there's a lot to like about this Airdrie side. No, I'm not saying that. I I'm, I'm refused. But kind of two folk liking it. Nah, exactly. This is <laughs> weird. I'm displeased with myself for, for even thinking that. What I mean is there's more to this Airdrie side than I thought there would be going in to the season. Just didn't... We saw, um, like, last season, it felt like every second week they were winning 4-3. Yeah. And you think... That you're, wasn't you're, going to continue, but at the same time, you think it could flip the other way where they start losing that's, three. That's one. what I was thinking. It's like, yeah, you're still going to concede three, but you're not going to be able to score four. But actually, they seem to have really kind of tightened that up. They've had a couple of, of slightly wild results, but I think probably um, as much credit as any, they played Dundee United last week. A two nil, uh, sorry, midweek. A two nil loss is no um, no disgrace at all, and it seems like they were pretty competitive in that game. Whereas I think a lot of the sides that have gotten results um, against or run Dundee United Coast have done it by shutting up shop. They seemed like they were, were pretty open. So, um, yeah, see, I've, I've been more impressed with Airdrie than I was I was expecting to be. Um, Scott, we'll come to you next then. Um, what are your thoughts going into this one? Uh, I, I'm, I'm confident, again, just the fact that we're this team are just picking up results no matter how they're playing, and that's what's bringing the confidence, not only amongst the, the squad themselves, but the fan base as well are now expecting a result every game that we're going to, which you couldn't have said for quite a few seasons, that uh, we've gone to games expecting a result. I think the last time I went to games where I'm expecting a result was probably the season that we were in League One and kind of showing it for a bit where when we had like Nisbet and everything, we were scoring freely and whatever, but no, it's it we're in a good place now and I just think that there might be a chance, a slight chance, that we get one or two extra bodies back this weekend. That there keeps little uh sort of rumours dropping that Jack Hamilton's back training. I think there's even talk of Keith Watson's been back in training, but again I don't think they'll be fit enough to start. I think you might see one or two on the bench, which it's just extra numbers, even if they could play 20 minutes. And it just gives the guys that sort of extra break as well, who have played three games in a week. But uh, no, I'm confident and just hope that it's just another sort of big crowd, like Robbie says, if we can get 
the fans just keep coming. I think our home attendance this season, the average is 4,200, which is incredible, actually, considering what we've had in recent years. So if we can get, again, over 3,000, that would be a brilliant uh, home crowd because I, I don't expect them to bring much. They might bring a couple hundred if you're lucky. Yeah, it was, it was good to hear um, Ian Murray in his, his pre-match saying that everybody, I think he said everybody trained outside today. So there was nobody who was um, stuck indoors with a physio. So I'm sure a couple of them will just be very light, you know, kind of running. But everybody actually took part in a little bit of training, which must be, the you know, quite possibly the first time this season he's been able to say that. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think you'll probably find one or two back on the bench. Um, I think the big question is probably, what do you do with Dylan Easton? Because we're now back to this again, where he's almost certainly under normal circumstances fit enough to start, but we've just, you know, we've just gone round the table and given man of the matches to Aidan Connolly and um, Josh Mullen, and then also earlier on praised um, Lewis Vaughan and Callum Smith. Now, Ian Murray could consider dropping Sam Stanton, but he'd have Christina at his door. So <laughs> I'm not convinced that's a path he's going to take. So I think you actually find that um, Dylan Easton probably ends up having to stay on the bench. But again, it just gives you such a... like Again, if you're, if you're a right-back and you've done 80-odd minutes up against Josh Mullen and Lewis Vaughn's peeling off, and then Dylan Easton wanders on, you, you'd just be for packing your bags and going home. That the first time that he kind of stands him up, and he does a little—it's almost like a a very um a very understated like sort of karate kid thing where he just lifts a foot kind of behind the ball the first time before he decides what way he's going. Just the first time he does it, that must be terrifying for a for a fullback. Um, so Blair, what are you thinking ahead of this one? Yeah, just very quickly before I say that, we went through that entire Tuesday night game and never even mentioned Sam Stanton. <laughs> right. Which actually says everything about Sam Stanton because he was great. But now we just expect it every week. Like he was he was really good. Um I'm actually really confident. It worries me, but I'm really confident going into Saturday. My feeling after the first day of the game, um and I went through for it, was that we showed them way too much respect. Um when you're saying about um, you know, we didn't dive in and we, we sat off them. I actually think, personally, I think he got the selection wrong. He went with the two holding midfielders and it was too defensive. I actually don't think we kind of went at them. Um, so the one thing for me going into Saturday is that, presuming Keith Watson's not going to be fit enough to start, he's going to have to play Brown at centre-half again, means that we've only got the one potentially holding midfielder with Sam Stanton, who we know is probably more back and forward word um that then able to get at them a bit I think we're, we're um, losing Hamilton's slightly way better. too isolated and... oh no I'm a I'm a back. You, you went you went yeah. very slightly robotic but you are you are back now sorry so uh, okay. carry carry on that point. Sorry I'm saying Jack Hamilton was a bit too isolated um for me in that that first game. Um so I think for Saturday um, I think he starts with pretty much the same team that he started with on Tuesday night. Um, my hope is that we're a wee bit more attacking and we're able to kind of go at them a bit more. Because I do think that, that you can get at them. And I think if you sit off them, they can play around you and play through you like they're a decent side. 
Um, but I still don't like them. Um, but I, I do, I do feel quite confident going into Saturday. I have to say, and I would, I would keep Beeston on the bench. I think you're right. Um, coming off the bench, he's a, he's a massive threat. Um, Ian, do you, do you share this optimism? Do you think this could be the, uh, the, the time when we finally win a game by more than a single goal? I wouldn't go that far. Let's uh, not let's not go crazy or anything. Um, I, you know what? Like McCabe and Fordyce as a management team strike me very much like John McGlynn and Paul Smith in the sense that they have a very specific way that they want to play football. And the last time we played Airdrie, I think they kind of done Murray with their tactics. Like I, I think they, they they totally done us in the way that they played. However, I don't think they'll do that twice. But I do think they'll play the same way. So I think Murray will have some sort of plan to counteract that. And I, I think we'll win. We're good at home. We're playing well. I'm confident we'll, we'll get the three points. Yeah, I, I think um, I think it could be as, as straightforward as Blair says, just that the, the sort of enforced reshuffle that we saw from basically the Air United game onwards. That coincides with the existence of this podcast as well, which I don't think we can understate in the uh, Rovers' current good form. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm similar. Kind of confident based on the way the team's been setting up, based on the, the way they've been playing. Certainly don't think there's anything to fear from, from going into a, you know, a home game against the Airdrie, you know, without any, with no disrespect to them at all. But you've got to be looking at um, winning these kind of games, and I think the Rovers have earned the right to talk in those terms about them. That um, these are games you should be winning. Um, yeah, so... I mean, I think when you see when the fixtures come out, you've got games that you definitely go, oh, that like a game at Fur Hill, for example. You're automatically thinking, if we get a win there, that's fucking fantastic. If we get a draw, good result. Um, but you're probably going to potentially be looking at maybe having a favour towards Partick Thistle. There's games like your Morton's, Air United, your Airdrie at home where you think, right, really need to be getting three points there. And again, it's not doing anyone a disservice from those teams. I think it's just natural that you look at those and you sort of view those as... I always sort of view those games as the games that you need to win to not be involved in the the bottom toil, uh, the relegation battle. And I think that's probably a fair way to look at it. Um, there is definitely a sort of tier of games um, in terms of like the, how you view them. So yeah, yeah, I think they're, they're the games be. that that kind of define what sort of season you're going to have. Yeah, and it, already it looks like the the league is starting to kind of splinter in the way that it always does, and it looks like you've got a top two. Now I really don't think it would take a huge swing by any means at all for that to become a top one and then with the Rovers a little bit further back. But all we can do is keep pace. But as you say, that's where I think the Rovers are, are seven points ahead of Partick Thistle with a, a game in hand. So already pushing away. And I think that's the point where I see you've earned the right to say, you know, we are, we are currently, as things stand, and without getting ahead of ourselves, today challenging for top spot. And as a result, should be looking to win well, all of our home games, really. Um, so we'll absolutely see what happens on Saturday. Obviously, it's by no means a foregone conclusion. I think we've we've said that all along. You know, we've literally not had a, a league game this season that hasn't been incredibly tight. Um, you know, we've we've lost one by a single goal. We've drawn a couple and we've won the rest. 
by a single goal. I, I, I think in terms of um, predictions for this one, I think I might push the boat out and go for a 2-0. Um, I just feel like it has to happen at some point. But yeah, I mean, I would not be I would not be stunned or shocked or particularly dismayed if we happen to get beat in this one. Like it's it's not it's that kind of division that um these things can happen. But let's um let's get some predictions uh just to um to to round us off for this one. So uh Ian we'll come back to you first of all. Uh, 2-1 Rovers. Blair. 3-1 Rovers. Excellent. Scott. Now I <laughs> I'm going to say to you is if, and I didn't, I, I wouldn't normally say it, but if you've got a spare couple of quid, I've checked the last few, te- the last 10 games with us and Airdrie, six of them have been 1 0 to the Rovers. So I'm I'm going to stick with 1 0, and I just think that it's going to be three games in a week for both clubs. It'll probably be not as free flowing as it could be if it was like Saturday to Saturday. So I think. It might catch up with the players a wee bit and it could become a little bit scrappy, but I think we'll just do enough to, to win 1-0. Um, sorry, Robbie, just before we come to you, I just I was just double-checking that. Um, I think they they rested Callum Gallagher midweek. So um, I believe it's because he trains part-time, the rest of them are full-time. So he wasn't in on the Monday, so they didn't play him on the Tuesday. But I mean that could be they that came could be off a the factor. Bench, yeah. They come off the bench today. That, that, well, I mean, half an hour is at least a fair run out. But it could be a factor if he's he's fresh. Because as you say, just everyone else in the park will have done um, a fair shift in the last week. But um, yes, Robbie, sorry, come to you for your uh, your predictions as well. I'm going all out three 0 Rovers. Whoa. I don't like Airdrie that much. <laughs> <laughs> I would yeah, love just, it if we uh... did. I would love it if we did as well. I know without going full Kevin Keegan. Um, it would be pretty glorious to see us win a game by more than that single goal margin. And it will be interesting in the next few weeks, just seeing when these lads come back from injury, how that impacts things and, and whether we can start. We've obviously got the momentum at the moment, but like developing that and just getting a bit better with uh, more sort of assured performances, when we can, especially when we can get Scott Brown back at the midfield. Like that, I don't think we can overstate how much of a an impact that has on things that we're playing a midfielder at centre back and we keep winning games. So yeah. I think certainly the fact that we're playing a midfielder at centre half is obviously is a, a huge thing and getting Keith Watson back would be would be massive. I don't quite know how you get Scott Brown back into that midfield at the moment though. No. Like, I, there's too many players playing too well. <clears throat> I think it's just it's just like an uncomfortable situation. We're just not used to it. And I, I don't understand quite how this works or, or what you do with this. And I think it's a situation that you're just not seeing elsewhere in the league. You know, more than once we've said, again, in the in, within the relatively brief run of this podcast, that we are making substitutions that on the day make us better and the other sides just do not have that option. Like that, um, I think Morton, Tuesday night, we've already talked about it, but like Alan Power in that midfield looked tired, wasn't playing well, and all they could do was bring on a bad um, Grant Gillespie to replace him. And we only had four subs on the bench and still managed to make you know decent changes in that. That Dylan Easton came on and, and looked excellent. So um, 
that's where it starts to really, especially going into the winter, if you're able to basically make really strong changes pretty much anywhere, barring your fullback positions, it's uh, an incredibly good position to be in. So, um, yeah, we'll look forward to it and see um, see what Saturday brings and see what um, what comes from that. So, um, as always, let's finish up with a big question. So, um, we obviously had a, a nice little midweek trip away to the uh, Clyde Riviera for three of us um, this midweek. And what I would like to hear about relatively briefly, looking at the time, is um, other notable midweek away days that you've had. So, where have you... Uh, not necessarily had the most fun, but what's uh, what stories have you got to tell from uh, road trips during the week? Um, and let's start with uh, Robbie. Let's come to you first. Yeah, it's a, another trip back to Capelo with this one, but it wasn't against Morton. It was actually against Air uh, back in 2011. I've pulled up the, the team lines on the eternally reliable transfermarket.co.uk, um, which probably means that half these players weren't playing. Um, Rovers lined up, um, so it was. It must have been McGlynn's final season um, in his first spell. So we had McGurn, Donaldson, Ellis, Murray, Dyer, Joe Hamill, Walker, Williamson, Danny Thompson, not uh, uh, Jason Thompson, Jason Thompson's brother, Danny, um, and John Baird and Brian Graham up top. Um, we played at Capelo rather than Somerset because the floodlights had failed uh, down at Somerset, or I think they were getting redone. And it was one of those ones where it got changed at the last minute. There wasn't a supporters bus running. So it was very much a novelty game in the sense that there was only about like 200 people um, inside the ground um, for the match. Air seemingly played a lot of youth players and we got pumped free now. And it was just a very, very serial situation. Like I was saying before we came on, you had me- members of the, the like Rovers backroom staff and club coming up to the front of the stand asking if there could be anyone to be a ball boy simply because obviously Morton aren't going to provide ball boys. They're not involved. Um, they didn't have any sort of like local use to, to, to rely on. So it was very much a case that they needed. So I think one of the guys from Fife Finest ended up in the wee Dublin end fishing out footballs when we were inevitably shanking them over. And yeah, that was a, that was in the period where we didn't win the Challenge Cup every other year. So uh, just a, a strange period. But uh, yeah, that was my, my memorable midweek strange game that I went to. Yeah. And did you say, was it Eric Drysdale who was up in the stand trying to find ball boys in that one? I think it was Eric. I'm pretty sure it was. So, yeah. Well, speaking of Eric Drysdale, Air United and uh, administrative nightmares, uh, I am going to go for, it must have been a Tuesday night. It said definitely it was a midweek game. We went down to Somerset without a goalkeeper, which was the uh, uh, quite literally the only reason I went. I had no intention of taking myself down to Air United on a Tuesday night. But um, I just really like kind of following that story over the course of the day as like little bits and pieces kind of leaked out as to as to what was happening because we were supposed to be getting a Celtic goalkeeper and all this other stuff. And uh, as soon as it was confirmed that like none of that was happening, none of that was going through, I left work. I was like, I'm... I'm away, I'm going to football tonight. Whatever happens, I'm going to be there. And uh, I mean, I think everybody knows how that how that game went. Actually, like a really creditable 1-0 defeat, um, which, I mean, it would have been a much funnier story if we'd get beat like 12 or 13-0. The fact it ended up just being, 
uh, like, or if we'd won, end up just being like a really decent header from a corner that I think any goalkeeper would have struggled with. Um, so credit to, to Ryan Stevenson for that. Bottom of the league uh, that season there, <laughs> incredibly, despite everything that went on, every first goal thing that went on that season, and we still managed to finish above air. Just really bizarre, really bizarre. <laughs> Finished, finished Stevenson's career as well, didn't it? He talks about that. He remembers kind of standing there and thinking, Why am I doing this? I think he's played like three or four games for just about every Ayrshire junior side since then. Just retires every couple of weeks and then comes back a couple of weeks after that. Gets another uh, two. Reappears on BBC Scotland with further sort of etchings halfway up his, uh, up his face. Um, right, okay. Uh, Ian, come to you next. Yeah, I'm going to raise the tone slightly and talk about something that was actually really enjoyable. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the season that we won the league under McGlynn, uh, the, the old second division, 24th of March 2009, we played Brecon away. Um, we went up there and beat them 4-0. And it was just, it, it was one of those nights where you were like, the stars are aligning here, like like good good things are ahead. And I remember thinking that night, like we're going to win this league. We absolutely are going to win the league. Uh, Kevin Smith got a brace, 18 and 26 minutes. Mark Campbell scored just after half time, and then uh, Gary Wales rounded it off. Um, I also gave birth to that excellent photo, and I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. There's one where Stephen Hislop is kind of in the middle of doing like a forward kind of flip cartwheel, and he's fully 180 degrees the wrong way round. And there's like fans in the terrace and celebrating. It's like an all-time classic Scottish football photo. Um, just that, just a great night, and as part of a great season, one that I look back on like incredibly fondly. Went to the majority of the games with like a really good group of guys. Um, was playing for the supporters team at the at the time, and like we won the league that year. And yeah, just just a a, a great time in Rovers history. Um, a great night. I'm going to say I was there as well. Stevie Simmons, unbelievable. He was almost unplayable. The best I ever saw him playing a Rovers jersey. I remember uh, my outstanding memory of that game was like within the first 20 minutes or so. We got our goals and then the ball get, got punted down our wing and Charlie King was trying to get into a, a sort of tussle um, with Marvin Andrews who shepherded the ball out from all of like 30 yards all the way out for a goal kick. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. And I just remember like people shouting at Charlie King, you're not fucking winning. There's no way you're, you're getting the ball off him because he's just doing that big Marv thing of just shadowing the ball out and you're not getting between it. And he's just laughing as he's walking away because he knew it as well. I think that game, the... Um, the ticket prices were down because the original got postponed about like five minutes before kickoff or something. So they reduced the prices to like five quid. And then every Rovers fan was like, I am going to that. That's brilliant. So aye. great, uh, great evening. And they were great. Scott, you tell us your, uh, your midweek away day story, please. Uh, I was actually thinking about this as chatting to my dad about it earlier, because obviously I've been working abroad for, well, I'm now, first year was 2015 that I moved over abroad. So I, I, a lot of the away days, I was obviously going with my dad when I was really young. but And I remember vague bits of it, but I, I'm just going to bring up a game for last season that I watched on the telly and was the game where we took 13 players up to Dundee 
in the Challenge Cup semi-final. And it was just one of these games that... And it, it, the first half, you're 2-0 down in, what, 25 minutes? And I, I genuinely thought this could be about 6 or 7 by 90 minutes, and it could be one of the worst semi-final performances going. But, no, nah, the the boys just managed to somehow, out of no, it was just out of nowhere as well. It was like 70 minutes, still nothing. Nobody, we brought off like Easton off the bench, to, and he wasn't even fully fit, and he basically just declared that, well, I'll, I'll just come so that we've got somebody to come off the bench. But And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, Willie Akio actually scored a goal <laughs> and then done something. And then obviously Stanton, I think it was Stanton got the equaliser. Yeah. And then again, it got to extra time. You're just like, the players look absolutely out on their feet. We've got nobody else to bring off the bench because we also had brought Connolly off the bench to come on for, I think it was Masson really early in the really game. Early. So we had nobody to bring on and everybody just looked completely done and then they managed to scrape their way to penalties and then Robbie Thompson, obviously I don't know if any of you boys were actually at the game but because it was on uh, BBC Alba, you could hear everything that Robbie Thompson saying to every penalty taker and the the best one was when uh, Williamson was going to take it and he scored and he took it really well but he's just like, because we'd had Williamson the season on before on loan. Aye. It's just like, I remember you all last season. I remember <laughs> you. And then he just went the complete other way. And you went, and I think he said something. Oh, I'm not going to repeat it, but he said something. You're just going, he's absolutely done you there. <laughs> but no, it was uh, obviously the final didn't go our way. But it was it was just a, a good night to see what wasn't a great season, end of the season. Just a, a good night to work with good... 13 players. The one good week that we had in that season because we pumped Motherwell at the cup the weekend Aye. before, oh, so. and uh, then we went up to Dundee and won. And it's just a bit oofed, didn't expect that, but and uh, saving the best till last, I'm sure. Blair, what's your uh, your tale to tell? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of going with the boys in the terms of the cup games. There's quite a few to be fair that you could pick from, but I'm not going to do what I normally do, I'm going to pick one game. <laughs> So Thank you. It's, a, it's a Tuesday night in Dingwall. Um, I finished work um, and I met my cousin Mike, picked him up um, from his work and we drove up to Dingwall. We got to Inverness and we phoned for a Chinese um, in Dingwall to collect. Arrived, picked up the Chinese, went to the game, had to convince the steward to let us in with the Chinese. Sat in the front row in Dingwall. So this is back in 2012 um, in the cup under Grant Murray um, and we beat them 4-1. Um, in a League Cup game on a, a Tuesday night in August up in Dingwall. Um, it wasn't the nicest of nights. Um, Doogie Hell, actually, um, Laurie Ellis, I think we spoke about this a few weeks ago because we talked about um, Colin Wilson. So it, was, it was the week that we got pumped off the pars and Colin Wilson got pulled off. Um, so he comes on after about half an hour because Laurie Ellis has, has injured himself um, and has a great game. He's absolutely brilliant. You've got Brian Graham. This is back when Brian Graham could score when he wants. Um, so he's got two. Um, Doogie Hill got one. I can't remember who the other one was. It might be Pat Clark. But um, a, a great game. And uh, yeah, like I say, sitting in the front row eating chicken fried rice um, on a Tuesday night. In <laughs> Tremendous. Is that the season with a salmon pink kit? Uh, uh, no, it was the red kit. The Live Nation, Live Nation. The oh, right, bright okay. red, the bright red kit. I know the one you mean. It's 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 a kit. I can see Doogie Hill in especially like that's uh, it's kind of synonymous for that one. Strangler. Grant Anderson. 
Yes. Um, perfect. I think that will uh, that will do us for today. <laughs> yeah. So thank you very much, gents, for uh, for joining me. That was a, a thoroughly enjoyable run through the uh, the game from Tuesday and the upcoming game on Saturday. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, if you don't already, please follow the Twitter, like and subscribe on the YouTube. Tell other people if they're not listening where to find us. Enjoy the game on Saturday and uh, listen out for us again on Sunday where I'm sure we will be together again for a thorough debrief. So thank you again and we'll uh, we'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Cheers.